Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Hello and welcome to the Richcast, the flagship podcast of Vox Media. Every time I do that with our executives in the room, I freak out. It's but they're just going to let me keep doing it. <laughs> I am your friend, Neil Patel. Dieter Bone is here. Howdy. Ashley Carmen is here. Hello. And we are, if you're in your car right now, pull over. Yeah. Just comprehend this fact. Visualize this. We are in a, a ballroom at CES mm-hmm. in Las Vegas. Yep. We are in a room full of Samsung executives. It's great. Uh, now, Samsung very uh, generously allowed us to use one of their uh, meeting spaces to do a live podcast. So there's folks in the room. Make a lot of noise. Make like double that amount of noise. No, that was like no, half the amount of noise. But it's a live episode. We're doing a preview of the show. Dieter, it's technically the first day of the show-ish. Actually, so... Counting CES days is weird. Technically, it's day negative, or it's day zero, because tomorrow is day one when the show floor opens. Yeah. And we had day negative one yesterday. This only matters if you are in Las Vegas. Right. And you are counting the number of days yeah. that you have to be in Las Vegas. Yeah. Dieter, you wrote a piece, just before you get started with all the news that's already happened, what's going to happen. You wrote a piece about what the show is and how to like deal with it. There's a lot of consternation among <laughs> yeah. tech reporters and people who are here or don't want to be here. Um, I think our friend Joanna Cern at The Journal is constantly talking about how she doesn't need to be here anymore. Yeah. And I, I feel like we have to be here and we want to be here, but you wrote a piece about it. Go through a little bit. So like I said, it's always just people are mad about CES. It's not super, it doesn't feel good uh, to be super excited about the electronics industry when there's lots of terrible things happening out of Silicon Valley. But innovation does happen here. And it or at least gets shown off here. And getting into uh, well, nothing, nothing that matters happens at CES because like all the big phones happen elsewhere, all the big laptops get announced elsewhere. Uh, okay, but there are there is stuff here that will eventually matter a year or two down the road, or will eventually matter this year. And there's also stuff here that doesn't come from big gigantic corporations that rule the earth. And it might be worth your time to go take a look at one of those. So let's start by talking about big giant corporations. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> this is great. I'm so you're doing it. A plus to you. Keep it going. Everyone's gonna look at you every time. It's just gonna the expectations are gonna keep rising. <laughs> Fame has a price, my friend. So the thing that happens every year at CS, and I think this is actually to me the heart of the split. The phone dominates the world. Yes. Samsung itself announced a phone event for February, like the day before CES. Right. All the phone stuff. You got it. All the phone <laughs> stuff isn't really here anymore, the way it used to be or Correct. used to want to be. But what is here is TVs yep. in force. And the story of the tech industry, to my mind, aside from phones, is just this perpetual race to put a computer in your living room. It is the thing that has never really truly happened. It has happened in sort of like the tangible way, like a TV right now is just a giant tablet. It's right. an ARM processor, it runs a Linux-based operating system, it has apps, whatever. Game consoles are just computers. Like, In fact, they're more like computers now than they ever have been. They've got standard processors and standard parts, and it's going to get even more standardized next year. Yeah, but those things, the way we traditionally think about computers, the way that Dieter now thinks about 
computers professionally in his new newsletter processor. Oh my god! Um, see, I can do it too. They, we have not yet put computing in the living room in that way. There's not, not a lot of interactivity in the living room. There's not a lot of um, inbuilt connectivity to the rest of the ecosystem in your house and living room. This is, I would say, a 25 to 30 year fight. Microsoft was here for years. Every year is Bill Gates. Every year Bill Gates would stand on stage and be like, Windows is coming to the living room. And then it wouldn't happen. And then everyone would cry. Yeah. And then it didn't happen. We were okay. Uh, Intel for years, the same thing. We're going to do set-top boxes. This year, we're seeing it again. And you see it in the TV industry again and again and again. The push, this iterative push to actually make the TVs more like computers. This iterative push to actually make them more interactive. And where it starts, I think, with all big paradigm shifts is in display technologies and the resolution of the actual screens. Right. So this year, the big fight, this is, this is what the Vergecast is for. <laughs> it's a standards battle, y'all. <laughs> about how, how to count the pixels in an 8K TV. Yeah. I promise you this is riveting. So obviously we had 4K TVs. Even in the jump to HD, the real reason everybody bought an HD TV was the form factor of the TV changed. It was the underlying technology that drove the upgrade cycle. It was not the resolution of the television. The, t the panels got flat. Everybody wanted to get rid of the big boxes. They put flat panels on their screen. Every year after that, the TV industry tries to get you to buy a new TV. Okay, the TVs are now 3D. Anybody here have a 3D TV? TVs are now curved. Didn't work either. 4K TVs hit. The conversation on 4K TV for about five years was there's no content. Yep. Then HDR hit as well. And the combination of a 4K TV with HDR and big streaming services online that could deliver high-resolution content actually drove an upgrade cycle. So now I, I said this last year. I'm going to say it again this year. The best $1,500 you can spend is not necessarily a new phone. It's almost certainly not a new phone if you have a, a relatively recent phone. It is definitely a 4K HDR TV and a soundbar because you will have a library of content and it will be a massive upgrade in your living room experience. And Martin Scorsese can get really mad at you about watching theme parks in your living room instead of real cinema, but that's like a whole other thing. <laughs> the Irishman is very long. I would also say that one of the things that's driving the TV upgrade cycle right now is that the price of televisions has plummeted. So you can go into a big box store and buy an incredible TV that would have won best of CES running away five years ago for like 250 bucks. Right, and the reason for that, and we'll get into, there's some news around that, is the business model of the TV changed. So Sony, for example, used to sell you a Trinitron CRT that would go into your house, it was very expensive, you'd keep it for 30 years and that was the end of it. Now TV manufacturers basically take no margin on their TVs and they sell associated services and advertising against the actual interface of the TV. That is a radical shift in business model. It obviously has privacy concerns, Samsung announced, I think, today a privacy dashboard, Ashley, you're saying? Yeah, they mentioned it during their TV announcement, but we don't have any details, but like it follows all this news that's been coming up around how TV manufacturers track what you're watching, target ads against it, and basically how we all need to be worried about the surveillance state. Yeah, which you should be. <laughs> Just like generally fear it. Yeah. yeah. It's like in the shower. It's like have a moment of fear. <laughs> I and, mean, there and, is an Alexa speaker and, for and the shower. Yes, you could get a speaker that listens to you in the shower yeah. and it has custom uh, algorithms to make sure that the sound of the water doesn't interfere with the microphone's ability to hear what you're saying. I feel like I would win so many more arguments if I actually had that microphone in my <laughs> Like from five years ago, but I would still, I'll actually be like, do you remember that time that you totally burned that dude from five years ago? Um, Okay, but let's actually talk about the news. So when I say there's a big fight over what 8K means, obviously the next upgrade cycle here is going to be a resolution-based upgrade cycle from 4K HDR to 8K HDR. LG has its way of building a panel. Samsung has a different way of building a panel. And the way they are counting the perceived resolution that you can see is different. Why does this matter to you? Well, first of all, they get to market it to you. So that'll be very entertaining for all of us. LG is calling its TVs real 8K TVs, yeah. which is amazing because it implies that 
the other TVs are fake, but they're like very obviously there. They're like 85 <laughs> inches. Like, there they are. Um, but the way it comes down to is how much, how much detail your eye can discern and what the underlying pixels of the screen present to you as a, like a logical pixel. So VirtuCast listeners know I care a lot about subpixel layouts. It's just an unfortunate fact for everyone in my life. I'll talk about it whenever you want. Um, but like the OLED screen of an iPhone is not actually a grid of pixels. It's a diamond pattern that has green pixels and uh, blue pixels and red pixels in an interlocking layout. The green pixels are brighter because your eye can perceive green better than the other colors, so you actually get the brightness in the green. This is all very complicated. It's actually based in the biology, but the end result is there's not actually that number of pixels across the screen. That is not actually how you measure the screen. So LG and Samsung are in a fight yeah. around 8K because they are not producing that number of pixels. They're saying this is what it looks like to your eye and there's a competing, there's two different standards bodies. One of them will lose. That will be hilarious. Yeah. It's, always lose when, it's always hilarious when a standards body loses. I just think like, <laughs> it's like a bunch of people in a gray office being like, we're the AK Foundation. <laughs> like, you got to have some passion. Like, you can't, you got to care mm -hmm. to, like, join the AK Foundation. So that's, like, the, the high-end news from both manufacturers is their big AK TVs. So right. Samsung has the bezel-less AK TV. Samsung. Samsung. Nailed it. Yeah. Someone yell AK Foundation. Do we have, do we have like, a spy in the room? <laughs> Anybody? So the, the bezel-less 8K TV looks incredible, uh, but I will say that I am heartbroken that it is a bezel-less 8K TV because I don't need an 8K TV yet. I would like to spend a little bit less and get a bezel-less 4K TV. You can't this year. No, you cannot. This year you can only spend $100,000 yeah. on that TV. <laughs> so that's, like, the, the when I say display technologies drive the industry, that is the, the high end, right? The $100,000, you're Mark Cuban, you have a standing order for the biggest TV in the world, which is true. You just... I don't know who, who he places the order with. Like, I would actually like to profile that company. Like they're just it's like in a state of panic that a new larger TV will show up and that deliver to Mark Cuban. Um, but he does. He just always has the biggest TV in the world in his house. So that's that end. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he really cares about the AK Foundation. And then there's sort of what's happening now. So you've got the 4K TVs, the technology. I wouldn't say it's commodified, but it's it's accessible to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so now they're experimenting with form factors. So Samsung's other big news was the Ciro TV, mm -hmm. which I mean. rotates <laughs> to portrait. It's so and Ashley was looking at you for feelings. When I think about going 90. <laughs> yeah. but it, it's, it's the opposite of going 90, because going 90 is going to landscape. Go 180. And so this is going If you're listening at home, know that I'm squinting. <laughs> uh, right, okay, okay, so anyway. So an enormous amount of content premium, I don't know what you would call it, real TV, is made in landscape. Obviously, user-generated content on every platform is made in portrait. The idea is that you will seamlessly share from your phone to the Ciro TV. If you have, uh, I believe, a Samsung phone, you can actually map the TV rotation to your phone. Yep. So that when you just rotate your phone, the TV will like, get a ping over the network and rotate for you, which seems crazy. I just honestly, like... That's just a number of rotations that I didn't mean to have happen that will happen as I like go through my day. And if you don't, you, you can just airplay your stuff from your iPhone, push a button, and rotate TV. Ashley, would you buy a rotating TV? This whole buildup was Ashley. <laughs> that was like, that was like so 15 important. minutes to Ashley, are you going to buy? <laughs> That's what we're here for. But here's the thing. So they showed it off in Korea. Samsung did earlier, this, I guess last year now. Mm. And at the time I was like, whoa, that is so cool. But now I'm kind of like, Jaded already somehow. Wow. I know what happened. It's the fastest I'm like, you've ever been jaded. Like, but IGT Instagram has been trying to make IGTV a thing forever. Like the past year, it's been like a concentrated effort to make vertical video a thing. Mm -hmm. TikTok exists. 
Snapchat is vertical video, but I just don't know if people really want to watch that on a TV. Yeah, to the point that you need to buy a TV specifically that rotates so you can watch your TikTok videos. The more you say it, the more I'm like, yes, I do. So, oh, oh God. My the whole, teens. Oh, God. My whole thought with this TV is that you're not actually meant to buy it. Like Samsung knows that they're going to sell, you know, 1,500 of these things. And they'll go into like weird shops and like some, some cool people, some artists will have it in the corner of the room or whatever. But they don't actually intend this to be like a mass consumer product. It is a, it's a concept car in Unless TV show. I mean, this is the thing about CS in particular is there's a lot of concept cars here. Just like literally concept cars, and then technology that's <laughs> like literally concept cars are here. Is it actually a, a concept TV or a real TV? Do they intend to sell? No, I, I, w the point I'm making is CS is full of these things that seem outlandish and often bleed into real things. So you right. might not see this television, which I think is a little small. I think it's like 48 inches. Yeah. It's mounted to an easel stand, it, it's fixed, you can't take it off. Yeah. But could you see. TV mounts that actually go to vertical. Could you see the, the the ability to change layout built into the software TV is such that you could actually mount it that way and use it that way? Like, there's a lot of stuff here that's in an integrated product right now. Mm -hmm. You could see filter out in its world, assuming anybody wants to watch TikTok videos. Well, on the big right, and that's it's going to come down to it's like what you're saying about the upgrade cycle. No one bought 4K TVs until there was 4K content. Have no one's going to buy rotating TVs. Right, it's like no one's going to buy the rotating TV until you're like actually there's this long form vertical content that I really want to watch there. We will get into it later. Yeah, it's like so much. It's worth the hype. <laughs> uh, but quickly to run through some of the other TV stuff, LG obviously announced their new OLED TVs. Mm -hmm. LG has been sort of the dominant maker of OLED TVs for a while, but you're seeing that category expand. So uh, Sony has done OLED TVs using LG panels. They have different processing. They have speakers built in. Same core panel, different processing. Vizio is doing their high-end TVs in OLED now. Yep. Some companies I've never heard of are doing OLED <laughs> TVs now. You're seeing just that display technology, again, get commoditized, democratized, spread out into other companies. I think there are rumors that over time Samsung will itself also make an OLED TV. That has become the dominant high-end, you know, ultra black blacks, mm -hmm. high contrast TV, and then you're seeing a bunch of new LCD technologies under it. LG also added the Apple TV app to its TVs retroactively. Again, we're talking about streaming services. They're going to be here in force. They need to be on all these platforms. Making your app work well on all these platforms is actually a differentiator for these companies. So a company like Apple, their app is like pretty good on Apple TV. Like yeah. It's there. Yeah. It's not yet good enough for them to make it the default interface of the Apple TV, which I yeah. think says an awful lot. But it's also on a Samsung TV. It works slightly differently. It has a slightly different mm -hmm. set of capabilities. It's also on Android TVs. It works differently. It has a slightly different set of capabilities. Are you um, leading up to suggesting that the Apple TV app on uh, LG TV is going to have cards because it's on WebOS? I hope so. Okay. <laughs> no, it's going to look exactly like the Apple TV app yeah, okay. else because Apple, <laughs> Apple does not care about your interface ideas. Um, um, and then two, uh, they just really don't. Yeah. Two things that are, I think are really interesting in terms of emerging tech here. A bunch of TV makers now are doing variable refresh in their TVs, which is very important for video games. It's very important for video games. I, if you're if you're in your car, just know that I went, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> like that was the, that was the face I made because yeah. I'm so excited for variable refresh rate. Having finally started to really experience it on phones for the first time, I'm not much of a gamer, so I haven't experienced it too much on monitors, but saw, saw it a little bit. But variable refresh rate on phones and high refresh rate on phones really changes it. And I think that more so, like 3D was a bust. 
8K, I don't think is that big a deal. HDR was a big deal. I think that refresh rate has a potential to be the thing that actually gets people to be interested in upgrading once the content really starts to get there. I think it's the same situation as HDR. It was very yeah. hard to explain HDR to people for about five years, and they could go into a store and see it. It's going to be the same, I think, with variable refresh, especially because there's an enormous population of people who already play gaming, uh, who already play video games on gaming PCs using high refresh refresh rate monitors. There's just a built-in audience of people who understand it when the next Xbox Series X, X5 <laughs> plus PS5, X4, <laughs> they all have bad names. When they come out and they support this technology, it's going to be there. The other thing that enables, which I think is just one of the most enormous challenges to making the living room work, is I think LG announced filmmaker mode. A bunch of yep. other TV makers have said they're going to support filmmaker mode where they they turn off all their ideas. <laughs> There's another way. <laughs> they turn off all the stuff they did. All the hard work they put into changing your picture, they turn it off and let the movie come out of the streaming service the way that the director intended it. Please do not say anything about authorial intent. At this I time. won't. I will say that Does when, it exist? when when they were announcing movie or filmmaker mode, I missed the beginning of it where they said this is a new mode, and I thought they, they were just talking about how, by default, this is how the TV worked and that motion smoothing would be off by default. So I was watching the keynote, and I just, oh, no. I just stood up and was like cheering and everyone in the room was looking at me like I was insane and it turns out I was that we don't live in that beautiful world where motion why smoothing is, is on Why by is default. it on by default? Do you guys know why? Yeah. I, I, yeah I, Can you hello. please please tell me? I need to know. <laughs> I just came like, back from the holidays. <laughs> I had to fix all my parents' TVs. I, I, like, I did five. Over the yeah, holidays. why? It's like strangers' homes. Just turn it off. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Again, this is computers in the living room. You would never accept your laptop or your phone running at a refresh rate of 24 hertz, which is what a movie wants to be at. It would just be a stuttery mess. So they, every device wants it to be in the highest refresh rate possible and the highest dynamic range possible. Mm -hmm. So the Apple TV, I fault when you plug it in, it sets it to HDR60. New TiVos, TiVo still exists, their company. When you plug it in, it sets itself to HDR60. That's bad. Right? It's bad for movies. It's great for computer interfaces. It's great for sports content. So if you have a dynamically switching display, it can look at what you're doing and actually change it on the fly. So it knows you're watching sports. It can step up the refresh rate. It knows you're watching a movie. And it can roll down without blinking, without changing modes, without changing its resolution. So it's, again, very nerdy, but it will drastically improve your experience the next time you upgrade your TV. So right. you're seeing it lift up now. The other thing that you're seeing in the living room space is sort of, I think, the rise of the high-end soundbar. Yeah. So we talk about Atmos on our show a lot. It is the new surround sound standard. It's the new codec. Dolby's pushing it everywhere. They're maybe overusing that brand name. Yeah. Like you can definitely get a laptop with bad speakers that says Atmos on it. You feel cool. It's great. You can also put an M series badge in your low end PMW. It's great. Um, <laughs> wow. That's what you can do. Anyway, but real Atmos, great Atmos is amazing. Yeah. It requires height speakers, or it requires sound to come from above you. That's one of the major changes in the experience of audio. We are now seeing, after it's rolled out, after it's been settled, soundbar manufacturers are doing neat things to get that sound to come from above you. So there's a new Vizio soundbar. The speakers actually rotate up yep. when you're listening to Atmos content. They rotate down when you're listening to regular content. There's a bunch of reflective audio technologies that are happening. I think that stuff is actually a meaningful improvement to having sound in your living room. And as more and more consumption of movies goes to your home, out of the cinema, 15 hours of the Irishman, happens to you, 
You just watched it I three cried. times. You cried? I cried. Because it was so long? <laughs> <laughs> like halfway through. You're like, I get it. He's getting me off. Um, but as more and more that happens, that is actually the experience I think the industry is going to converge on, right? You want a high-end display and high-end audio in your home because you're out of the spaces in theaters and wherever else that could provide that to you. So I think Hollywood directors, fancy mm-hmm. types, are going to want to see that happen. They're going to start to get more and more involved in this. That means you have to buy a soundboard. So, Ash, I told you this is the only question. <laughs> would you, to go you don't have a TV. Yeah, would you buy a soundboard for your Sierra TV? Here's the thing. So now, I used to be hardcore... I don't like the look of TVs, so I don't own a TV. Mm. But I, I feel like um, all of a sudden, I, it could be that I just stream more now, and I want a big TV and a really nice sound bar. I'm ready. You're I'm ready to do it. I want a robot sound bar that ready rotates too. up. That's so cool. See? That's a neat trick. Being like, look at I flip my phone and my TV flips too. Yeah, it's a little sound bar rotates. Yeah, that's that's like everything a, moves. It's a party trick, yeah. I guess. Your party is gonna last. Yeah, like it's two a very long. cool party. Also, very let me show cool you party. inviting people into your home, being like, I want to show you a trick my TV can do. <laughs> it has a very this shallow. Where, yeah. like, are you speaking from experience? No. Okay. Definitely not. My parties are wonderful, and I'm a great host. Uh, no one believes me. <laughs> Dead silence in this room. And then obviously the other stuff that happened today. Let's go through it quickly, and we can move on to mm-hmm. what we think is coming. There's smart home news. Yeah. So well, there's interesting. Before we get to smart home, like the nexus of smart home and assistant stuff is uh, or soundbars is the Fire TV. So Fire TV is coming to more soundbars. Uh, I think TCL announced one, and they're making a kit so you can do it. And they're also going to allow soundbars to do HDMI switching, and so that. They're betting, they're hoping that the soundbar could potentially be the central interface hub for all of your TV stuff instead of it being your TV, yeah. which I don't know. Well, it's easier to replace. Right. Like, so that's a, a big problem for most people is you want to get rid of your receiver, you don't want to replace your old TV, you want a new interface, you can actually just buy this one upgrade, yep. you can plug everything into that, that can go to the TV. I think a lot of people are interested in that. I think a lot of people also have problems with their soundbars. They're still hard to set up. Roku announced today made for Roku soundbars. So they're going to start certifying some soundbars to integrate native with, with their TVs. I'll just call this out. Like Often with soundbars, particularly with Roku TVs, there's the, you can't fix the, the delay between the video and the audio. So one's ahead or behind each other. That is mostly related to how hard it is to process the 4K image. So it's like very difficult. So Roku solved the problem of implementing the standard correctly mm-hmm. by creating a proprietary certification program. <laughs> That's my favorite kind of ice cold move. <laughs> like, what if we just embrace, extend, and then destroy the standard? Yeah. Like, I'm into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see that starting to happen. Like, we're going to build integrated systems in your living room that look very much like the integrated systems that ecosystems that Apple or Google have yep. elsewhere in your yep. life. Uh, so, in proper smart home news, uh, there was the uh, Alexa showerhead that we just mentioned, which is uh, still the front runner for just put Alexa on it competition. <laughs> just, why not? Um, and I say that having seen a a litter box with Alexa, so just pointing that out. Um, uh, there's a bunch of new ring stuff. There's uh, new light bulbs and a, a smart access gate, and then they also announced that they are going to have some sort of privacy dashboard finally. Yeah, so sort of like how Samsung responded to all the media reports around TV data tracking, Ring has also been in the media quite a bit for their work with police departments and how basically police departments can request Ring footage from people. And people had no idea this was even happening. So this week, Ring announced, did they announce products too? Hmm? Yeah, yeah. yeah, they announced the products too, but but then along with that, they announced that 
they have a new privacy app that will let you control whether the police can actually gain access to your ring and obtain that footage, which you could not do before. The Ring Fourth Amendment dashboard. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's just every time you open it, it plays that one Jay Z lyric. Yeah. From Nine Nine Problems. Okay. Yeah. And in our interview with um, Ring, they were like, "We also really want people to use Two Factor." They really <laughs> want people to use. Do you know two-factor. how many lawyers have passed the bar exam because of the Jay Z song Nine Nine Problems? It's it's like more than you would like in a functioning democracy. All right. Last in gadgets. Yep. There are laptops. Yeah, mini laptops. The one that I'm most excited about is uh, the Samsung Galaxy Chromebook, which I there Nailed there it. it is. This is great. I, <laughs> I've been waiting for Google to update the Pixelbook for the past two years because I just wanted there to be a smaller bezel on the screen, and they just wouldn't do it. So they gave me the Pixelbook Go, which is perfectly fine, but it's like a mid-range Chromebook, high, mid-high range Chromebook. Uh, and it turns out that uh, the reason that Google didn't do it is because they knew Samsung was. <laughs> And it's great. It's got a, a OLED screen, and uh, it's a, just it's Fiesta red. It is so red. It's, it's so red. red. It's orange. We have them in front of us here. Yeah. It very is red. extraordinarily red. Yeah. It's uh-huh. very pretty. Mm-hmm. Cherry red. I'm gonna. I'm gonna just gonna ask you. Yeah. There was some consternation in the world of Chrome OS this week. Yeah. David Ruddock at Android Police wrote a, a long post about how it hasn't lived up to its potential. Yep. You felt this way for some time. Yep. It's great hardware. Do you think that's gonna get resolved? <sighs> I th- my take is the thing I've always said is that Chromebook works well for ninety percent of the people, ninety percent of the time, for ninety percent of what they want to do. And when you start adding, doing that multiplication, there's a big percentage of stuff that they can't do. And it, it's been that way for way too long. And I think that Google needs to be much more focused in what it chooses to actually do next in its punch list, because uh, adding Android apps, adding Linux, uh, it's not clear after uh, somebody graduates from high school and doesn't have to use Chrome OS anymore, uh, what is going to compel them to keep using it. Is it going to be like proper Office apps? Is it going to be Stadia? No. Um, is it going to be something else? And I, I just don't think there's enough focus to figure out what that something else is. But right now, I think that there's an assumption that it might that Android apps are supposed to fill that gap, and I don't think that that's true. I don't know if it, it was ever meant to be true that Android apps were always supposed to fill that last 10% gap, but they definitely aren't doing it, and I don't see them doing it anytime soon. So, wait, just a thing that I watch my teenager niece and nephew do is they want to make YouTube videos. Yeah. Every, every teenager in America wants to be a YouTuber. They can't because Dieter already occupies that role in their lives. Wow. Um, Best YouTuber of them all. Can you edit a YouTube video on this on this computer? So here's the thing. Uh, the answer is surely yes. Uh, the answer is I haven't tried. I don't know exactly how to do it, and I could take the time to figure it out, but I'm not gonna uh, because it's probably pretty hard, and it probably wouldn't work as well as just doing it on a PC or a Mac. And as a person who uses Chrome OS literally every day and spent $1,200 on a Chromebook a couple of years ago, and it's planning on spending over $1,000 on another one pretty soon, the fact that I am not like, yeah, no, totally, you can do it, here, let me show you how, is the problem. Yeah, and I think it's there's 50 of those problems. Yeah, but if you aren't living in that last 10, 10, 10%, using Chrome OS is great. More than Windows, more than a Mac, uh, it, it's the thing that stays out of my way most of the time because I don't have to deal with a bunch of stuff. But it's you don't have to deal with a bunch of stuff, but then you just can't do a bunch of stuff. Yeah, so uh, three years ago, the first Pixel, Chromebook Pixel. Yeah. No, the second gen one, the one you USB-C. I bought for my mom to replace her Mac because Macs just have too much stuff on them, too, much, too many interface paradigms, and all she needed to do was open a web browser and use Citrix for her hospital. Mm-hmm. And I, she still uses it. She actually carries around. And I asked her, have you used your Mac? And she's like, I haven't touched my Mac in like two years. Mm-hmm. 
Like she just uses this thing. So it works perfectly for that one very constrained set of uses. And then she has a phone to do WhatsApp. So there, that's the Chromebook. Yep. And then Lenovo has. The Lenovo just drops a million website. laptops. Uh, but there's one. Which one do you want to the talk folding, about? The folding. the folding one, yeah. So there's a folding. There's a prototype floating one. Uh, I think it's it, they're like they're actually starting to announce price and or not price, but like release date. They're getting closer to having it be more than just an idea. The hinge seems kind of cool. Like that, it's there's some flexibility there. It has a little keyboard, sort of like Microsoft does, and it goes inside the thing, and then you can take it off if you want. Um, folding stuff. Yeah. I looked at a folding TCL phone that is also just a prototype. Folding stuff. Everything's folding. Everyone, everyone says they want to do it. Everyone says it's the future. Nobody knows how. Yeah. I think what's interesting about foldables in particular is most – when we get asked to do shows like this, preview CS, tell us what's coming in the year in tech. Mm-hmm. Um, when people want to know what the hot new gadget is, what they're often looking for is something that gives them a capability they didn't have before. Yep. Which is like the story of like '90s gadgets, like, or they're looking for a form factor that like takes the industry along with it. So obviously, phones and tablets just took the industry along with them. Mm-hmm. It was a massive change. I think a lot of people are looking for that form factor paradigm shift with smart speakers, smart home stuff, right? But now your house is the computer, right? Everything is going to change around it. I think there's just a lot of interest in the industry to be first yeah. to a new form factor and carry the industry along with you. Well, it's be first, and it's also, uh, since nobody knows what to do with uh, folding screens, they need to get something out there and have somebody use it and have them go, oh, what if it did this? That would be nice uh, in a real practical way instead of you know sitting inside you know engineering rooms and dreaming about the future kind of way. Um, the other thing I'll say is that, that there's a bunch of this stuff out there. It all feels really prototypey. It all feels really tentative for the most part. And every time we're like, what do you think is going to happen? They're like, well... Once the glass can fold, then we'll know. So I sort of feel like everyone just needs to test a bunch of stuff. Some of it will be tested like in customers' hands, and some of it won't, uh, because at some point people keep bringing it up like it's going to happen. Glass will become foldable, and then that will completely change the conversation in terms of like durability, and that's like the main thing. When will Corning make foldable glass, Dieter? Tell them right now. <laughs> I don't know. Everyone seems to be waiting on Corning. Yeah. We're gonna take a break for an ad. We'll be right back, and we're gonna talk about all the stuff that's happening this week at CS. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, there's a lot of stuff happening at CS for the rest of the week. What is interesting is there's always sort of like a secondary show that takes over CS. Yes, there's laptops. Yes, there's smart home. Other kinds of industries routinely show up at CS and try to make it happen for them. So historically, the, the car industry shows up and it's like, now it's a car show. Yeah. But now they're just established. They're here. feels like this is the year where the content industry is showing mm-hmm. up in force. Ashley, walk through some of that. Yeah. So for those of you, Vergecast listeners know what Quibi is. They are can't help it. well yeah. acquainted. But... For anyone here, perhaps, who doesn't know what Quibi is. So it stands for Quick Bytes. It's this new startup that is trying to make vertical video, quality vertical video, a thing you're willing to pay for to watch. And their idea is that they're Quick Bytes. So you could have a two-hour long movie, let's say, made by Spielberg because he signed on to the service. 
that two-hour-long movie is going to be broken. I can't even say it with a straight keep, keep face. Going. Is going to be broken up into like ten-minute chunks. And and you can only watch it after dark. Well, yes, for Spielberg show, <laughs> you can only watch it after dark. That's right. <laughs> but. And if so, they're also going to. It's going to be serialized. So you can't just watch the like click, keep clicking ten minute chunk, ten minute chunk, ten minute chunk. You have to wait a week to view your ten minute chunk. Yeah, so, sounds perfect. <laughs> this is this is the big idea. Yeah, and Quibi's doing a keynote while they're here. Mm-hmm. They've they the keynote. Yeah, like this is the keynote. Meg Whitman, Jeffrey Katzenberg, they're going to be on stage. It's unclear what they're going to do on stage, but it is CES. Maybe they'll show the app. Like, yeah, that would seem like a thing you do app. at the tech I show. I think they'll yeah. show the app. I think they're going to launch the app. So Katzenberg has raised a billion dollars for the service. Mm-hmm. Yep. He signed up Spielberg. He signed up every... 50 cent. 50 cent. <laughs> <laughs> when I go for, like, the exhaustive list of influencers, no, this is the 50, first one on the list is not I would not care. But the, the people in my life, that is the one that got them. They're like, wait, yeah. 50 cent signed on to this? And I'm like, yes. And they're wow. like, whoa, Quibi. All right. Look, Katzenberg is a genius. He has a window into America's soul, unlike anyone else. Clearly, he saw that coming. That's why he's the dude who did Shrek, and I am not. Oh, my God. I hope 50 Cent shows up. It would make so much sense for him to be here. It's Vegas, tech show, after party. Yeah. If 50 Cent is here, I will be excited. If you know where the 50 Cent after party is, please invite Ashley. That's all all that's happening here. So they're going to have a big launch. Mm -hmm. It feels like they're going to have a lot of star power on stage. Probably. It seems like we're going to see this app. It seems they're going to make their play to replace Instagram and YouTube in your life mm-hmm. for, I think, the pricing is announced. I think it's like $8 a month for no ads and $5 a month with ads. Mm-hmm. It seems like a hard sell, but that will be the big splashy yeah. thing out of CS because they are, they are the keynote. Mm-hmm. There's also other stuff happening. Yeah. Yeah, so NBCU is also doing a keynote, I believe. Um, and they have Peacock coming soon, which is another streaming service. They're already advertising Peacock. Like, Peacock ads are running on the NFL playoffs. Mm-hmm. They're utterly bizarre. I don't know if anybody has seen them. It's it's like two eggs in a chicken coop and a chicken just staring at the eggs. And then it says Peacock. What? And it... <laughs> I don't. Again, okay. I'm not. I'm not. The, I'm not the one who put 50 cent on my streaming service. Like maybe I don't know how to do marketing. Um, if, if the implication that, is the peacock is going to hatch. Well, from, from a chicken. Hmm. That's, oh. all, that's all that can be. It's also potentially like really dark. Like one of the eggs will hatch and one of the eggs will be breakfast. And the the wow, bird is just that like is sitting there than I thinking mm-hmm. about what the future is. The other egg is just traditional cable television. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's that first egg. It's going to turn into this is your brain on drugs ad. That's wow. what's next. Also very dark, and yeah. just in particularly this time. Peacock. Um, it's great. So we know a lot about that streaming service. But they're doing an event. They're also doing an event, and presumably it'll, I'm assuming, going to be along the same lines of Quibi, where maybe they'll show off the app, maybe they'll have talent. I imagine it's a lot of talent yeah. that's going to be around, famous people. This is very much like the Apple Apple TV launch event, where it was just a parade of famous faces mm-hmm. with yep. very little detail. Yes. This feels like a appropriate time to disclose that NBC is an investor in Vox Media, which owns the merch. <laughs> Their event's going to be great, you guys. Super looking forward to it. And then Spotify has an event on the yeah, books. So kind of no, kind of don't know what's going on. Yeah, so Spotify in years past has always been around. They do an event every year. Um, this year, they're on the CES schedule formally doing a podcasting event. So they're head of content and then Lele Pons, who's a YouTube star, they apparently are doing a talk where they're going to talk about podcasting and the future of podcasting. So I don't know if there will be news or if they're just posturing and they're like, hey, we're here and we've invested a ton of money in podcasting. Hear about us. 
But it is interesting that podcasting really is having a moment here at CES. And I imagine that could grow. Why do you think it's happening here? Well, I was thinking about this with streaming, too, because I feel like traditionally South By is where, you know, you get the flashy talent, you get the movies. I mean, it's like South By. Yeah. I'm wondering if South By is just so crowded now that they're like, eh, we'll go to the tech show. Yeah. <laughs> like, why not? I mean, if 50 Cent is here, <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> I feel like we have interviewed 50 Cent in the past. It's Probably. Yeah. But like also, this, we're playing with, like, tech money here. Right. Like, Quibi is well-funded. Yeah. So I could see why maybe there's people at CES that have a vested interest. Plus, the Ciro's here, so they can uh, show it off on the vertical TV. You think oh, man. I mean, it is weird how Quibi's like, vertical video, vertical video, and we're like, okay, man, sit down. And then Samsung's out here being like, vertical video. But this, is, this is the magic of CES. Yeah. Right, Jeffrey Katzenberg and whoever's in charge of the Ciro, they're going to go gambling. Yeah. <laughs> And the first 5,000 Quibi subscribers get a rotating TV. I was going to say, they should do a... <laughs> you get a rotating TV. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't get a free rotating TV for your effort here today, I don't know what's going on. Um, a bundle needs to happen. Right. I think that's actually the play that you're seeing from, mm -hmm. from, from all of these companies, right? Big telecom companies are buying content companies. Yep. This is their show. This is where they make their deals. You get the big flashy launch event. You get all the people in the room. You throw your party at 50 cent. I hope. Something happens, right? And that is beyond the traditional. One of my favorite CS stories of all time is Vizio once sponsored its dinner for all the buyers at Best Buy against the Samsung keynote event. So, like, the big free dinner would not, they would not be paying attention to Samsung because they would be hammered with Vizio. Like, that's the little minor gamesmanship that happens here. And it's all just. It's to get the deal. And I think a lot of the content action you're seeing here is these services are nascent. They're, they need to be installed by default on mid-range Android phones because that's the world we live in. They need to get their free data on AT&T because that's mm -hmm. the world we live in. And that's how they're all going to win. And they don't have any of those deals yet. I don't think we've heard any of that noise from Quibi. So I think, mm -hmm. yes, the stars will be on stage. And then you're going to hear... Oh, we're gonna be we're gonna be available for free to T-Mobile subscribers. Oh, we're gonna be available for free on your rotating Samsung TV. Yeah. And that stuff that comes out of this event, I think, is a big deal for the content companies now, especially as they're all transitioning to streaming. For sure. All right, Dieter, what streaming service are you most excited to see at CS? At uh, CS, I mean, I, man, I'm excited to see Quibi. I'm just gonna say so. I, the, their whole idea is they're Dieter's gonna hunting for that Quibi money too. They're gonna <laughs> if they. It's interesting because it, 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 it has to be a new kind of content. And if they don't make a different kind of content that really works on phones, it's going to fall flat. And that will also be super fun to watch because it'll just be a billion dollar disaster. Um, but if Do they, they have a SoftBank investment? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, you know, one of the things that YouTube taught us is when you make a YouTube video that someone's going to watch on their phone, you don't like stand in the back of the scene. You have a big talking head because it feels much more natural when you're holding a phone, you know, eight inches from your face to have a big talking head on the screen. It needs to fill it in. It ma makes it feel more intimate. So if Quibi is going to try and do Hollywood-style content, like Steven Spielberg, he knows how to do a close-up. He knows how to do a long shot. But does he know how to make uh, content that feels good when you're holding a phone you know, eight inches away from your fa face? YouTubers have figured it out. Instagrammers have figured it out. TikTokers have figured it out. Can Hollywood figure that out? I don't know, but like, it's going to be really interesting to see him try. Instagram's, I don't even know if they're thinking Instagram that way. struggled with it. Well, they struggled and with YouTube it. And YouTube tried to do YouTube stories, and I don't think that's taken well, off. Well, Instagram figured it out in t for photos. 
Yeah. And, for, and when they stole stories. Yeah, stories yeah. is like the magic right. one. But, but they've MTV, tried to make yeah. IGTV a thing. Yeah. They literally have talent scouts out in L.A. whose sole job is to appease talent and get them to use IGTV, right. and it's not working. But all of the successful vertical video content that we've been talking about, ver- vertical photo content that we've been talking about, is user-generated. Right. Right? Like, there's none of the stuff is professional. So what does it mean when, like, Katzenberg rolls in with a million dollars or billion mm-hmm. dollars and all his Hollywood buddies and says, hey, uh, all you YouTubers and TikTokers, uh, we're here now. Like, what does that mean? Are, we, is, are people going to actually watch that? Yeah. And I think that is the big question. The other big question is, are consumers going to pay five bucks a month with hats? Right. Which, again, I think the, the end goal here is to have it bundled into your sell bill mm-hmm. because that is everyone's end goal is to charge you money without you thinking about it too much. Yeah. It's my end goal. <laughs> you double click to pay. I mean this is this <laughs> right is why I have this is why I have Disney Plus. Baby Yoda and it came with Verizon. So Okay. Ashley, you've just written here AI fridge arms race. <laughs> <laughs> I have really weird interests. <laughs> <laughs> You're all over the place, kid. What is going on in the AI fridge um, arms race? So before CES started, LG and Samsung announced that their smart fridges would all... Samsung already has a camera in the fridge. You can see through. But now they're going to both be using AI to see what's in the fridge and then help you come up with recipes and maybe do meal delivery to get meal suggestions based off of your groceries, basically. And then maybe you can order through the fridge, too. Which is like, okay, kind of weird, right? The thing is, though, I've heard about this idea before from a smart oven company called June, and they also talk about their AI camera that can tell you what's in your oven and how to cook it and recipes for it. And I'm like, oh, my God, is this a certifiable trend? Mm -hmm. And I just love thinking about all the AI engineers who thought they were going to, like, I don't know, find cancer with AI or, like... (laughs) find the Nazca lines in Peru that have been hidden for centuries, <laughs> millions of years, and then are like told, so you're going to build the food AI that figures out what's in people's fridges and suggests recipes. I mean, I just, it's like, it's, I don't know. I just don't know if it's like the best use case for AI. I just don't think it's like. How many cameras are, so it's an arms race. Oh, everyone, this is the, I mean, everyone's doing it. It's the thing that's going to keep happening. There's other companies, startups here too, that are all pitching me on their food AI. And it's just like, we can see but, what you have in your fridge. We yes, can see what's in your But cupboards. here's, a, this is the other thing, is that like, okay, maybe we can find an onion in your fridge, but what about ethnic foods mm-hmm. or other ingredients that aren't as recognizable? I think that there's actually a lot more, it's more complicated than we would think, and I don't necessarily know how useful this will be. How does it find an onion in your fridge? Like, the base concept to me is actually still very difficult. Like, does it have a camera in every compartment? Is it a fridge with, like, 400 cameras? <laughs> like, that's the arms race I'm interested in. We're like, going to see the on the show floor when it this opens. Fridge? This is what's coming, is we get to actually see the fridge and do yeah. the demos and test the food idea. And then is there, like, a associated, like, cloud service cost? Is there, like, a recurring oh. revenue model of the fridge? We have to subscribe well, for to Samsung, they bought a thing called Whisk, and they will do food delivery for of you, like groceries will. and things. So yeah, there is recurring revenue to this, hundred percent. That is the the game here. Does that lower the cost of the fridge? <laughs> it's still not. a sixty-four. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. Well, I love this. I'm immediately buying one. The thing about the big companies doing it is, as you covered the June oven, the June oven would turn itself on. Yeah. Right. Oops. <laughs> Seems like a mistake. Um, there's now there's a rival company called Juno, which has a refrigerator, which mm. I think is great because there's June for making things hot. And Juno for making things cold. Oh, gosh. I feel like that's a CS. Maybe we can get them together at 50 cents 
I think party. everyone should just come together at 50 cents after party and make the deals I that feel you're like speaking this, of. This sublimated goal of getting invited to 50 cents after party has become <laughs> a very explicit goal. Uh, Dieter, you wrote my favorite thing at CES about a key. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm going to pronounce the company Natamo. Natatmo, yeah. So they make a, it's a smart door lock. And uh, I don't love it because I think most people should buy it. I don't love it because it is better than other smart door locks. I love it because they just took a re- like existing technology that's already out there and just applied it in a really clever way. So it's an NFC key. And instead of just tapping your door, it's a literal key. And what that means is if you want to reprogram your door lock or you want to give someone a key or, or make someone's key not work, you can just do that without going to a locksmith. Um, the battery lasts a super long time because it doesn't have a motor inside it. Uh, so it, if you're not comfortable with an August or you know replacing your entire lock with you know some other weird computer, this is like half a computer, and uh, it it gives you some of the functions that you'd get from a smart door lock without all of the extra stuff that you don't want. Will your Bluetooth connect to it or not? Right. Will you have to like fiddle with your phone? Will the app work? Will the NFC tag on your phone actually activate? Will HomeKit actually do what it's supposed to do? You just you have a key and you put it in the hole and you turn it and then you're inside you your house just like you're used key. to. No, you can uh, you can't you can't do remote unlock, but it can uh, you can unlock it with an app. Okay. It, it will it'll, like trigger the unlock and then you can like twist the knob and get in. So you can give people a physical key that turns on and off. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you can like repro. You can like it's like instead of filing a new key, you just t- change the NFC code. What does the key look like? It looks like a weird black little key with a little fin on the end of it. Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. I just and again, like no, most people shouldn't buy it. Like it's not that good. <laughs> yes. But it's it's clever, and there's definitely a few people that are like, oh yeah, I I want that because I definitely don't want that other thing. The big problem with the smart home is like. Two or three. One is where are the microphone. Well, there, it's only a few categories. Okay. One, where are the microphones and speakers going to go? Okay. Still not solved. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you end up with Alexa in kitty litter boxes. Yeah. Um, Alexa and smoke detectors. I don't know if you, uh, anyone has ever experienced a smoke detector just screaming at you that your timer has gone off. Very, like, literally alarming. Like, <laughs> like that thing tells you it's a fire, and it's like, your timer has gone off, and it's like, Oh, well, I guess it was a good run. Um, <laughs> it's just your entire brain is conditioned to see a smoke detector going off is like a problem. And Alexa's like happily like playing the wrong Spotify song at you. Um, so where are the microphones and speakers going to go? Totally unsolved problem. We see it all over the place here. Yep. What can the assistants do? Uh, there's a little bit of news here. It's actually my favorite piece of news. Alexa has now expanded its capabilities in cars, so it can control the HVAC, it can do direct navigation. The car they announced it with was a new Lamborghini. So if you've been holding off, <laughs> uh, let me tell you, now you can tell your Lamborghini to turn the heat up. Yeah. Um, then there's like the set of things you want your smart house to do. You want it to do access control. Yeah. Right. You want it to tell it to lock the door. You yeah. want it to be able to let somebody into your house uh, remotely. Still a very unsolved problem. Most I have an August lock. That thing just burns through batteries. It's great. I like it a lot. Just eats batteries. Yeah. Most of the other motorized locks yeah. do. There's, uh, there's. I mean, there's many more problems. There's like, who is a, is your data being secure and is it kept private? Yeah. Is it being used to advertise against you or track you in some other way? Is it easy to use? Is the are the things work together? Is there? Um, I mean. The rest of the Vergecast is Zigbee versus Z-Wave and the new Chip Alliance, uh, so I'll buckle up for that. Yeah. You got eight minutes it's a joke. Left. It's not a threat. It's a joke. You're going on this ride with us. <laughs> we started with, can you can your eyes discern pixels, and we're ending with, I mean, it actually is a fight, but yeah. I'm going to it now. Okay. There's a Z-Wave Alliance. First of all, they named themselves the Z-Wave Alliance. 
like, let's be honest. The amount of hubris it takes to be like, we are the Z-Wave Alliance is off the charts. <laughs> that's, like, that's, a, that's super bad sci-fi video game writing from 1993. Is their building shaped like a Z? <laughs> because they screwed up if it's not. And I think given the advances in prefabricated construction, they could accomplish this goal. Which sound, what sounds more ominous, Z-Wave or Zigbee? Zigbee is just your buddy. Yeah, it's like your pal, yeah. right? Yeah, it's going to yeah. be fun. We haven't told you any information about these standards. Rest assured that they exist, and Zigbee is going to win, because Z-Wave Alliance, in addition to being named like an evil cabal, actually has the predatory business model of an evil cabal, um, and the entire industry is turned against them. Yeah. This, these are facts. There's a great story on TheVerge.com that is uh, reported soberly and with facts, and not just me doing this at this time. You can read it. Jake wrote it. He's... He's better than I am. Okay, so th there's that set of problems, yeah. right? We want to let people into their houses. We want people to talk to their houses. By doing this stuff in a cloud system, we're generating an awful lot of data. Mm -hmm. The other problem of how each individual device connects to your core system is getting better but still unsolved. Right. So right now, a lot, of, a lot of your Alexa commands, you say, Alexa, open the door. Alexa interprets your voice in AWS, connects to your door locks cloud, your door lock sends a command over IP to your local network and your door opens. Right. That is 5,000 points of failure and 5,000 points of insecurity. Right. They're getting better at it. They're starting to do more local stuff. I, I, I know I said that Zigbee versus Z-Wave was not going to happen, but... Oh, it, it already happens. The, <laughs> the, the thing that we were all worried about with the smart home five years ago, you can go read Jake's article about it, is, oh my God, it's all, it's all fragmented, nothing, nothing talks to each other, Zigbee versus Z-Wave, who's going to win, what's the standard going to be? Ah. And then we stopped worrying about that for a while because Alexa and Google Assistant, and that's that's basically it. We're not going to talk about Bixby or Cortana or no. uh, Siri. There are other ones. Yeah, there are other ones. And so that layer of abstraction just made that problem of what the smart home standards are go away for a minute because it like it just handled that for you. But long term, all the companies that make those gadgets might not want that to be handled by Amazon or by you know whoever or Google or Apple or whoever. They might actually want to control that directly. And it's also like you know saying like it is in efficient to have a thing, send something up to the cloud to understand what it means, come back down, send another command up to another cloud to do the command, then come back down again, then send another command up to the cloud saying, yep, I did it, and then have that come back down and say, yep, it's done. Like, that is insane. Yeah, and all this means is so much more processing has to happen inside your home, right? So right now, the big story, almost all these devices is they're cheap. Almost all of their smarts and improvement over time happens in a cloud system. Right. So Alexa gets smarter over time, you still have the same first-generation Echo in your house. As you need more processing in your house to solve the security problem, to enable more components, you're going to have to put a computer in your house somewhere. So that's another just massive problem that you're seeing with this smart home stuff. To me, all that suggests is it's not actually here yet. Like the smart home that you can go out and buy, unless you go out and hire an integrator yep. to buy it, to do it for you, which you can do, and they're fine. Most people aren't doing that. Right. right? You, you can't just like buy one off the shelf because the, the model for how it should work isn't quite there. And actually the discrepancy, this is like one of the hardest things for, for us to like review, the discrepancies between how something works between Google Assistant and Alexa are actually enormous. But unless you like sit there and live with them and compare them, you would you would never actually know. Yeah. And they're really small and they're really minor and every single one of them is like the world's most ridiculous sounding edge case. Like, I can say to Alexa, play music in this room and it'll do it. I can say it's a Google Assistant and it can't because like this company didn't sign this deal. Yep. And like, <clears throat> this is already uh, Vergecast that borders on the esoteric in terms of detail. Um, <laughs> that's like the most boring thing I've said so far. And I've 
talked about contrast ratios on televisions today. So it's just not there yet. And I think that's why you see so much wild stuff here because there's no paradigm for it to fit into. They don't have to like meet a constraint. Mm. You can just like build whatever you want. So that's what we're going to see at CS. Yeah. Also, we're going to see a, a headless robot kitten. Because the headless robot cat was so successful last year, they needed to make a smaller one. <laughs> this is a true story. It's very it's exciting. iPod mini of headless robot cats. <laughs> Ashley, what are you excited about? I mean, the one Instagram post I want from CES is me in the S-Pod by Segway. The oh, little, the, the rolling egg chair. Yeah. yeah. That's all I want. I want to leave CES with one Instagram post riding around that thing. It's like it's the throne. Ambitious goal. <laughs> <laughs> is anybody aware of the Segway egg chair? Have you seen the movie Wally? It's here. <laughs> uh, Segway, uh, the company that did not make the Segway happen. Yeah. Segway Nine Bot. Segway Nine Bot mm-hmm. almost made that. They have a new self balancing device. It's a chair that looks like an egg. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say. And it, it and does you can look sit like an egg. egg. And it'll, it'll roll you around. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. It's so cool. my, my initial reaction was <laughs> you're already in a chair. Why, why, why does it need to like roll around on two wheels and be self balancing? And there's three answers. Wow, I cannot believe you got so many more answers. (laughs) The first answer is uh, if you were to just put it on four wheels on it or three wheels, um, it needs to have a much, much larger wheelbase in order to not tip over because it's a big, tall egg chair. And so (laughs) they need uh, Segway Nightbot self balancing technology in order to to not have such a large wheelbase. Second, it makes it more nimble because it's able to have a much, it can just turn in place and it doesn't have to like have a big turning radius to move around like it would. I feel like you're describing these as solutions to problems. (laughs) Third, and most importantly, the reason that it balances on crazy, uh, you know, two wheel self balancing technology is because that's what Segway makes. Yeah, that's what they got. (laughs) Yeah. It's like Dyson, it's like, can you put a fan in that? <laughs> Hair dryers, we did it. It's like their electric car did not have a fan in it, didn't go off. Yep. That's all I'm saying. Okay, that was the Rochast. It ended with me once again dunking an electric car company. <laughs> it's CS, everybody. By the way, if you are interested in that coverage, Sean O'Kane is going to visit like virtually every electric car company here. Yep. Some of them may succeed. Mm-hmm. Tune in the first to find out. <laughs> okay, thank you for everyone being here. Uh, we're back later this week. Mm-hmm. The Rochast, we're doing a bunch of interviews this week. CEOs, various hangers on. We're going to try to find 50 Cent, I'm told. <laughs> He's just everywhere. <laughs> I remember what the interview was. He had headphones. Yeah. They didn't. I they really didn't. hope he's here. <laughs> if you know where 50 is, <laughs> he's in the club. That's Rochester. Bye. Bye. <laughs>